0: Dr. Adina Sternberg, Contribution to the Redemption. Hello everybody, good morning. Can you hear me? So nice seeing so many people. Exciting to be part of this wonderful project. Today, we're going to be talking about Yehezkiel's, Ezekiel's contribution to redemption. Okay? Now, it's kind of unfair to start that way, we need to say, God redeemed us, okay? The start, our starting point is, God redeemed us, but he, need to ha- he needed to have someone to redeem. And this is where Yechez comes into the story, and we're going to try to figure out how this prophet affected or brought upon or enabled the redemption, okay? Now, before we start, since, since this is a class in English, I'm assuming that a certain percentage of the people sitting here have made aliyah. Okay. Now, um, this class is being broadcasted also in America, so I assume they haven't yet made aliyah. Okay. <laughs> but, but if you think a second, why is it you made aliyah? Okay. Those of you have, who have made aliyah or whose parents have made Aliyah, or grandparents have made Aliyah, or those who are about to make Aliyah, what are the reasons that made you make Aliyah, that enabled it, that uh, set the atmosphere for it? Okay, everyone think on your own, and we're going to start and try to figure out this question. Now, when you ask yourself this question, lots of times it will be, why did I, and not my Jewish neighbor, who stayed back in the same shul, in the same uh, educational system, etc., okay? But don't think only of your neighbor. Think also about the guy, the Jewish guy or the Jewish girl in the next neighborhood who don't always feel Jewish or don't even think of making aliyah. And when I'm talking about Yechezker, I'm not talking only about the question of why did the Jews come back to Israel, why did they come back when God redeemed them? But I'm also asking myself, what about all those who didn't come back? And when I'm thinking of those who didn't come back, I'm thinking especially about the lost 10 tribes, the Israelite nation who wasn't redeemed and didn't come back. It came back partially. Some people came back. But we do not have the redemption of the Israelite kingdom. The reason we're all called Jews is because we're all Judeans. We're all from the Judean nation, from the Judean kingdom, who after the exile came back. But we also had an Israeli kingdom. And that Israeli kingdom didn't come back. So when I'm asking how did Yechazkel contribute to the redemption, I'm keeping in mind that redemption is not a given. That coming back was not a given. That there were people who were sent out to exile and never came back. Or didn't come back. Definitely not as a whole. Definitely not as a kingdom, as a nation, as a collective identity. So now we're going to need to figure out how this happened, okay? What enabled this? So let's just remind us that big Jewish nation was divided up during the times of Yerovam and Rehovam. We had two separate nations. We had the Israeli nation and the Judean nation. At times there was peace. Usually they were just rivals and sometimes they were downright enemies and the israelite kingdom at a certain point was exiled it had a few exiles maybe two maybe three we have one exile known as the two and a half tribes but it might have included also all of the northern tribes and then uh, several years later we had the whole exile of shomron and from then on we do not know of any Israeli nation, any Israeli kingdom. We'll meet them later on a bit during the times of Chizkiah, during the times of Yoshia, Your meow will be speaking to them, but they don't come back. And then my question is, why didn't they come back? And what enabled us to come back? What enabled the Judeans, the Jews to come back? So if we try to think of answers, I think the first answer that might come up to mind is that we're better, um, okay? Now, now uh, a bit condescending um, and very much not right, okay? If we think, you know what, maybe the Israelites didn't come back because they sinned more than we did. The Judeans were better. They didn't sin as much. They were nicer. They stayed with the Mikdash. They didn't have these uh, calves throughout the land. But the point is, it doesn't work. Because after Samaria, after Shomron is exiled, and we're left just with Judah, the Nevi'im keep on telling the Judeans, you're worse than them. You know why? Because you had to learn from them and you didn't. You should have seen their fate. You should have seen that they went to Galut. You should have seen what happens when you sin. And they didn't. They continued the exact same way. And a lot of the Nevi'im say that they're worse than the people of Israel. Uh, Just on an interesting note, one of the things that always bothers me is how come we don't care? How come we have four days commemorating our destruction and exile okay including putting the siege breaking the siege the destruction itself of the mikdash and also after the mikdash killing the leaders the local leaders that was put here by the babylonians but not one day for the ten tribes of israel nothing i mean we, we, we have all these kinot and we're so sad and we fast, but 80% of our nation was set out to exile, destruction, and didn't come back and we have nothing to say for that. Okay? Now that's a question I don't have an answer for, um, so we're not gonna talk about that. But I will say one thing, interestingly, in the kinot of Tisha B'Av we have one kinah that we talk about the exile of Israel and it's uh it's a bit ironic it's called shamoron kol titen we have the people of israel and the people of judah um, lamenting their 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 fates and crying over what happened to them and uh it's like in a chapter of the simpsons when the kids are fighting who loves daddy more you do no you do no you do right so I had it worse. No, I had it worse. I suffered more. No, I suffered more. Okay, that's that's a that's a kinah. And uh, and the funny thing is that Shomron, the Israelite nation, is crying over the fact that more or less they didn't come back. And the Judean nation is answering, Ha! You should be happy, you don't have to go through anti-Semitism. Okay? That's 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 uh the that's the amount of uh, recognition we're willing to give to Israelite. Nation, we'll keep it in mind later on what this means. Anyway, so now the question is, after we've done all that, how come we merited coming back? How come the Judean nation merited coming back? And we're going to focus on Yechezkel. Of course, we also have Yeshaya, we have Yirmiah, we have other prophets. We're going to focus on Yechezkel. And the first thing I would like to tell us is that Yechezkel went with the Judean nation to the exile. They had an in-house prophet. It always helps to have a prophet with you, right? But we need to say that having a prophet with them is not only to Yehezkel's merit, it's also to the peoples. And in order to understand this, finally go to the Tanakh, I'd like you to open up Menachim Bet, Perek okay? 2 Kings chapter 24, Pasukhit. Okay, verse 8. Melachim bet. Kafdaled. Okay. Kings chapter 24, verse 8. We will be going back and forward throughout the Tanakh today. Okay. Pasukhit. Ben between 18 years, Jehoiachin was exiled, and three months and Nehushta, and Ilnatan from Jerusalem. Okay, introducing the king Jehoiachin. <laughs> he's um, the third to last. He's a second to last king. His father Jehoiakim was a bad, bad king. Um, now we have. He was the worst king, maybe. Then we have Yoachin, later on we'll have Tzidkiel, okay? Melachim Bet, Melachim Bet, Perak Avdalet, Pasuk Chit, okay? 24-8. So Yoachin was 18 years old, okay? Yoachin was 18 years old when he reigned. He reigned three months, not very long, okay? And we think that we have the changing of government very quickly, right? Okay. His mother is Natan from Jerusalem. Okay, he was as bad in the eyes of God as his father. Okay, so at that time the troops of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babel, marched against the Ru- Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. So Nebuchadnezzar advanced against the city; his troops were besieging it. So Yo-Yachin, the king of Babylon So yo along with his mother, his courtiers, his commanders, his officers, they all surrendered to the king of Babel, and he took them captive in the eighth year of his reign, of the reign of the king of Babel. Right, this is our first big exile. We've had destructions in Judah previously, but this is the first big exile of Yehoyachim. Together with that, Vayyotsi misham et kol utzrot Hashem, so he carried off from Jerusalem all of the uh, treasures, all of the gold, the silver, everything that Solomon made took them to Babel. וְאֶת כֹּל וְאֶת כֹּל וְכֹל הַחֲרָשׁ וְהַמַּסְגָּר נִשְׁאָר So together with Yehoyachin and his mother, we're actually taking all of all of Jerusalem or all of the elite of Jerusalem, the commanders, the warriors, ten thousand exiles, the craftsmen, the smiths, all the only the poorest people stay in the land. That wasn't the problem. This, they were taken. The elite was taken to Bavel, and the poorest were stay stayed here. Um, who chose who went? I'm not a hundred percent sure. It was probably uh, Yehoyachin gathered the people, and they were um, um, a, the people of Bavel agreed etc. Now, why is this story important? Because who went to gather with his people to Babel? Yechezkel. Okay? He takes the people, Yo-Yachin takes all the elite of Jerusalem, elite, including the craftsmen, the people who know how to make things, um, all the warriors and all the statesmen, etc. And also all of the priests, or many of the priests. Yechezkel is a priest and he's going off with them. Now, this is important just to know that Yehezkel is, is there. But that's not the only reason, reason it's important. In order to understand why this is important and the significance, I want us to go to Yirmiyau, Jeremiah, and see a certain shift in attitude that Yirmiyau has towards the King Jehoiachin. Okay, So we're going to start in chapter 23, Yirmiyau, Kaf Okay. Okay, we'll stick around your Meow for a little bit. Yer Kaf Gimel, chapter twenty three, verse twenty-three. Should be easy to remember. Okay. How do we know that Yerches go with, with them? It says it in Yhezka. Um, yeah, yeah, it helps. Um, one second. No, I got lost here, a second. Um, no, what I have written down is wrong. Um Okay, so we're going to forget that and go to chapter Yud Gimel, okay? Gimel. If I No, no. Okay, sorry, sorry. We're okay. Chapter Kaf Bet. Just go one back. I just made a mistake with one chapter. Okay, chapter Kaf Bet. We're going to start in pasuk Kaf Gimel, okay? I just made one mistake. Chapter Kaf Bet 22, pasuk Kaf Gimel 23, okay? 22. Okay, chapter 22. Sorry, I apologize. 22. Chapter 22, <laughs> verse 23. Yoshev't <laughs> ba-Lebanon. Okay, you who sit in <laughs> Lebanon, mekonant <laughs> ba-Arazim, nestled among the cedars. Ma nechant be-volach <laughs> chavelim chil kayolida. How much grace will you have when pains come upon you like in childbirth, okay? So you're sitting now nestled, you now have a lot of, um, a, you're, you're very calm now, but wait, what will happen when childbirth starts? Khayani ani okay, this is a, an oath that God made as long as I live. Ki im ye if Knayao, Knayao is another name for Yo even if he, the king of Judah, <laughs> even if he's a signet, even if he's a seal on my ring, on my right hand, <laughs> I will tear you off from there. Okay? You, the king of Judah, even if you were really close to me, I'd rip you off, tear you away, throw you away. I will give you in. I will deliver you into the hands of those who seek your life. Okay, in the hands of those you dread. I will give you into the hands of the king of Babylon and the Chaldees. Okay, here we have the mother of the king again. I will hurl you and your mother who bore you. To another land. I will throw you away. You're going to go to a different land where you were not born and you will die there. They will not return to the land that they yearn and seek to come back to. Alright. So what is this? This your meow is now telling us. Keep your hands there. Your miaw is telling us this. Knayahu, which is another name for yoyachin he is horrible. He you now thinks everything is good. But wait, wait, wait! What will happen? I will hurl him away. He and his mother throw them away. We're not talking to kings that your meow likes, right? Okay. Continuing. nivze im Okay. Even in Hebrew, this is hard. Uh, um, is this man knayau in etzav nivze a broken vessel? is this is knaal like a broken pot is he a broken pot that you just throw away? Why will he be thrown away this way okay land, land, land heres the word of God so says the lord. Okay, record this man as a man without succession. Gever lo Okay, one who shall never be acceptable. Ki lo ish Yosef al david, u He will not have a successor. No one from his offspring will be accepted to sit on the throne of David. Okay, so this is your meows. This is how he's talking about Yehoiachin. Yehoiachin is... Worse than a broken vessel, nobody wants him. Even if he was my treasure, I would throw him away. Right? We're not talking about a king that we like. Uh, go back a second to uh, chapter thirteen, Yud Gimel, okay? Perek Yud Gimel, thirteen. Yud Gimel, thirteen. English. Thirteen. Sorry, sorry. Thirteen. Chapter thirteen, verse eighteen. Okay, Pasuk Yudhit. Yer Meow gimel Yudchet Yer Meow thirteen eighteen. Emor Okay? You go tell the king and the queen mother. Again, we have his mother, she's a very important role here. Hashpilu shevu. Okay? Sit down, sit low, humble yourselves. Okay, your diadems are abased, your glorious counts, everything has been taken away from you. ha'negev sugru, the cities of the Negev are shut. The en no one's going to open it. Hoglat kula, Hoglat Shilumim. Okay, the whole Judah is exiled completely. So, we have here Yermiao talking to the King Yo Yochin. This is very important to understand the role of Yo Yochin in this whole story. And as of now, we do not like Yo Yochin. Okay? meow is telling him, we don't like you. You humble yourselves. Stop being with your head up high in the air. Humble yourselves. You are going to be thrown to a different land like a broken vessel that nobody really wants. Okay? And now I want us to see what meow tells him in chapter 24. Perik of Daled. Okay, we're still in the same area. The beginning. Okay, first pasuk, Perik of chapter twenty-four. Her Okay, Hashem has showed me. We have two baskets of figs. Muadim Placed in front of the. Tempo. After Haglott, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, Melch Bavel, Et Yehoiachin uven Yehoiakim Melch Yehuda, v'tzarei Yehuda v'taharas v'tamazger Mirushalayim v'evim Bavel. So we have a date for this prophecy. It's right after Yehoiakim was taken to Bavel. Okay. Everything we talked about before was before the exile. We're now standing after the exile. Okay, one basket, very good figs. Right, like the first ripened figs. The second basket, horrible, very bad figs. So bad you can't eat them. We have a certain deja vu to Pharaoh and his cows, right? Okay, but we have two baskets. So God asked me, what do you see? I see figs. הטענים הטובות, טובות מאוד. The good figs? Very good. The bad ones are so bad, nobody will eat them. so God said to me, אמר השם ישראל, הטובות האלה, כן הכיר את גלות יהודה אשר שילחתי מן המקום הזה ארץ כסדים לטובה. As with these good figs, so I will single out for good the Judean exiles whom I have driven out from this place to the land of the Caldeans. ושמתי עני עליהם לטובה והשיבותים אל הארץ הזאת ובניתים ולא ארוס ונטעתים ולא אתוש. I will look upon them favorably. I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not overthrow them. I will plant them and not uproot them. So I will give them the understanding to acknowledge me that I am God and they will be my people and I will be their God when they turn back to me with all their heart. Okay, about these bad figs that you cannot eat. <coughs> okay, who are the bad figs? The bad figs are the king צדקיהו and all the people left in the land of Judah. And what will happen to them? <coughs> Oh, I will make them a horror, and evil, to all the kingdoms of the earth, and a disgrace, and a proverb, a byword, and a curse, in all the places where I will banish them. Um, I will send the swords, the famine, the pestilence against them until they are exterminated from the land that I give them. Now, something happened here. I don't know if you notice a change in uh, the change in attitude. Two chapters we had. We had chapter twenty-two. We had chapter thirteen. This knayao needs to humble himself. This knayao is horrible. He's. We want to throw him away. And suddenly, who is he? The good figs, the great figs, the wonderful figs, I like them, I favor them. What happened? What happened in between the story of I will take you and I will throw you off to, ah, these are the good figs. Now, these figs are bad, but these are the good figs. What happened in between? What made the difference? So what made the difference is the fact that Yochin surrendered. Okay, when we read the psukim of Yoyachin going out to Bavell, we see that there is a siege, but then Yoyachin goes out to the king of Bavel. al He surrendered. Now, why is this important? What's so good about surrendering? Okay, why is this important? Because apparently Yoyachin opened his ears. Apparently, when your Yirmiyahu is telling him, this is going to be your fate, this is what's going to happen to you, eventually Yoyachin said, you know what? Okay. If this is what's going to happen, I will accept it. And once he accepts it, he's also able to affect it. Yoyachin gets to choose who's going with him. They leave the land of Judah unharmed, They leave the land of Judah as a group. In a sense, they surrender, but they surrender under their own terms. But this has two very important aspects. The first aspect means is that he's willing to listen, that he's open to change, that he's open to hear what someone else has to tell him. He accepts the word of God that he surrenders to the king of Babel, but he also surrenders to God, okay? But the other thing is that 11 years later, the land of Judah is going to be destructed. The temple is going to be destructed, and they're not going to be ready for it. And when you're not ready for destruction, you have trauma. And it's very, very, very hard to overcome it. The people of Israel didn't overcome it. They did not see it coming, and they were exiled and destroyed. And again, they didn't see it coming, and they were exiled and destroyed. But the only people who saw it coming, they didn't see it coming, they listened to those who saw it coming, were able to take responsibilities for their lives and to diminish the trauma, to deal with the trauma, to build towards this trauma and to overcome this trauma. The people of Judah, who are now going out to exile, will be able to rebuild a settlement in Babel. They'll be able to have their own schools and their own systems. And later on, Yoachin is going to be taken out of, the, out of jail and be recognized as their leader. And a few generations later, his great-grandson will come back to Judah as a leader, because he was able to understand that we have to take responsibility and we have to prepare for this trauma. And part of the preparation for this trauma, taking the elite is also taking a prophet with them. Now the prophet still will have to work hard, and now we're getting to him, okay? But there's a very important base for coming back is when you go out as a group, when you deal with it, okay? We've had, even in the past years here, People who have dealt with trauma, if those who prepared for it, dealt with it better. Those who knew they were going to be exiled, better prepared for it. And those who didn't are still in trauma. And it helps to know what's going to happen. Of course, you need a prophet to tell you, but you also have to listen to the prophet. So now we're going to turn to our prophet. Our prophet, Yehezkel, okay? he starts easy. Okay, He has a good... Uh, point to start with because he's taken with this group. He's taken with people who are taking responsibility for their lives to deal with the inevitable trauma. But he's still going to have to work hard. And now what we're going to see is what did Yachazkel do in order to help the people eventually be redeemed. Because one of the problems is that you can prepare so well for the trauma that you forget where you come from, and you just start a new life, and you have no trauma, but you also have no memories. So you have to find a way that people will want to come back. So how are we going to make people want to come back? So now we're turning to all the most of the sources from now on to goby in and Yechezkel. And we start at the beginning, Perik Bet, chapter two. Okay. Yechazkel, Ezekiel, chapter 2, Parakbeth. We're going to start with um, Yechazkel's job description. Try to figure out what he's going to be doing. So his job description is in, again, chapter 2, the first verse. First chapter is what we call Marei Merkava, it's this very big vision of all the chariot that carries something who represents God, and after we see this whole vision, Vayomer Eli, he says to me, Ben Adam, Ben Adam is what Yechezkel is called throughout the book, the translation I have here is mortal, okay, so we're going to use that, mortal, after he saw this vision, he fell down. He says, "Stand up, and I will speak to you." So this wind comes, and he sets me on my feet, and I hear something being spoken to me. I am sending you to the people of Israel. Mardubi, to the nation of rebels who have rebelled against me, Hema Vavotam they and their forefathers have defied me. Ad to this very day. It's always interesting. Your meow is telling the people who stayed back, they're the good guys, but Yehoshua is not quite treating them as the good guys yet. Okay, the Habanim The sons are brazen of face and stubborn of heart. I'm sending you to them to say this is what God said. Whether they listen, whether they don't. They are a rebellious breed. Why am I sending you? so that they know there was a prophet among them. Now what does this help us? Okay, so we'll have a prophet. That's great. There's no expectancy of listening to Yechizkel. Okay, that's not part of his job description. You're not supposed to make them listen to you. At least not now. All you need is for them to know that there was a prophet. What is this for? Okay, maybe this is a Jewish tradition of being able to say, I told you so. Right? Okay, why do we have a prophet? So someone can say, I told you so. We've had prophets before who have said, I've told you so. We have Elisha saying, I told you so. But usually the prophet tells them so, so that they listen. And when they don't, then you can say, I told you so. But here the prophet is saying, God is saying, telling the prophet, you know why you're going to be a prophet? So that they'll know there was a prophet. So there will be someone who eventually will be able to say... I told you so. So we need to think what kind of job description is this? Okay, Pulitzer, he's not going to get. What is he getting out of being able to say, I told you so? I would like, there are different parshanim. Some parshanim say this is the justify God, meaning so that people will know that what's happening to them is because they deserved it and so they won't be upset. Even if you know you deserve it, you're still upset. But maybe it's for that. I would like to suggest that this is stage one. Stage one is building credibility. The prophet is now going to prophesy things that will not have any influence on the people right now. But he's not. his focus is not the people right now. He doesn't care about the people right now. But he needs to build his credibility so that when he has something important to say that will affect these people, and when he wants the people to do something, they'll believe him. One of the problems that Yirmiyahu dealt with a lot, and Yechazkel deals with a little, are false prophets. Yirmiyahu talks about it a lot. But even Yehezkel, he has a chapter and a half talking about all those false prophets that will eventually will see how wrong they were and how, um, how they were lying. But one of the things right now, the first stage, just build credibility. Just prophesize about things that we have no way to affect just so that when they happen, you'll know that I was a real prophet. And then I'll be able to start Cashing in the checks. Okay? What are the other goals? I want us to turn to chapter 11. <laughs> okay, chapter 11, verse 14. <laughs> okay, the word of God was to me. Ben-adam, mortal. Achecha, Achecha, ge'ulatecha. Okay, your brothers. Your brothers of your kindred. Those who are part of your ge'ula, galut, ge'ula, those who will be redeemed with you. chol bet Yisrael kulo, and all the people of Israel, asher amru lahem yoshvei Yerushalayim, the people of Jerusalem have told them, rachaku me'al Hashem, You shall be, keep far from God. The land has been given as heritage to us. What are we talking about? What is this? Well, we'll deal with it in just a second. Let's just see what his answer is. So this is what God said. I have indeed removed them. Far among the nations and scattered them among the lands, the countries. I have become them a sort of small sanctity in the countries where they have gone. This is what God says, Okay, I will gather you from the people, I will assemble you back from the nations, from the lands, and you will come back to the land of Israel, etc., etc. What is Yehezkel talking about? Yehezkel, just like many other prophets, is um, replying to something that has been said. And here he is now addressing a very big theological question. What is this theological question which is um, bothering and bugging people and preventing them from believing in redemption? It's what the people of Jerusalem are saying to the people who went out to Babel. And what are the people of Jerusalem saying to the people who went out to Babel? "Rhaku Hashem. Go away from God. Now, this is a very big theological claim, and it is very, very important. Okay, in order to understand this, we need to go back to Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu is chosen by God. Okay, God, I will make you a big nation. But even though God promised him, one of his sons doesn't make the cut. Okay? Ishmael is cut off. We're going with Yitzchak. You continue with Yitzchak, and again, one of the sons doesn't make the cut. He is set off, he is cast away, and we're going with Yaakov. Now among the sons of Yaakov, we're used to thinking that they were all chosen. But if any of you know Rav Binun's article about the story of Yosef and his brothers, Rav Binun's claim is that Yosef thought that he was being cast away that he didn't make the cut. That's why he didn't go back to his father. That's why he thought that his previous life was over. Even though he thought his previous life was over, he still was God-worshipping and God-fearing. But he did not believe he was still part of the chosen family. And one of the things that he needed to be convinced was that he was. And in the sense, we can look at the history of Israel and Judah, Concerning this question, once Israel and Judah are separated into two nations, the question that underlies their whole narrative is who is the chosen nation? The people of Judah are convinced we've got the temple. We're the chosen nation. They're not chosen. The people of Israel, what are they thinking? we have the galim, we have the calves on both sides of our land God we're the chosen nation Judah, there is the wrong nation we're the chosen nation now if you read the book of Melachim a very big part of the book is dedicated to the people of Israel it's not unrealistic to think that they really are convinced that they're the chosen nation but what happens to them when they're cast away what happens to them when there's an exile you start with two and a half uh, tribes and then the northern tribes and then you get all of Samaria is kicked out of the chosen land what is the story they're telling themselves now what is the story the people of Judah are telling themselves now well we definitely know what the story the people of Judah are telling themselves we won right we're the chosen ones They were cast away together with Yishmael and Asav. We're the chosen ones. And if the people of Israel are listening to this, even a bit, what are they saying to themselves? Okay, so God doesn't want, so God doesn't want. I'm the adolescent kid who's been kicked out of the house and says, okay, mommy and daddy don't love me anymore. I'm not coming back. We can understand why the people of Israel don't want to come back if they feel that they've been cut off if they feel there's nowhere to go back because the door has been slammed just as it has been after Yishmael and Esau and I'm sure that the people of Judah liked that narrative agreed with it yes this proves that we were right all along that we're the chosen nation now at a certain point (laughs) Chizkiah and Yoshiah opened the door They say, anyone from Ephraim and Menashe and Zulon, anyone still sticking around, welcome to come back to the chosen nation. Anybody who wants, we're open doors. But if for forever you've been telling yourself that this is a fight over who's the chosen nation, to come back to Judah and say, okay, we're going to join you, you have to surrender to do that. You have to give up a lot on your narrative to do that. Some people did. They're part of us today. And most didn't. And we don't know where they are today. But what happens, once you're used to this narrative, what will happen when we have a mini exile within the people of Judah? Where we have Yehoiachin and the elite and the warriors, etc., being taken off to Bavin. And we have the poor people and the Amchas staying here in the land of Judah. What are they telling themselves? So we're the chosen ones. God just keeps on taking out all the bad guys. And we keep staying with the good guys. So we won. God chose us. What does your meow tell tell them? (laughs) They're the good figs. You're the bad ones. Don't worry. Your time will come. Right? And what is Yechezkel now saying? He's addressing the people in Baveil. He's telling the people in Baveil, the people in Judah are telling you you're irrelevant. The people in Judah are saying, Now it's Ireland. No, 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 no. I have come to exile with you, and I will bring you back. I being God, yeah? Okay? God will go to exile with the people of Judah, and he will come back with them. You are not the end of the story. The door hasn't been slammed because once God kicked you out, he came with you, you know, like used to be that when you punish your kids that they don't get dessert, you don't eat dessert either, right? So um, just like we kicked, God kicked you out, but, I spread you, but I will bring you back. Now, this is something that you need to convince the people. You have to convince the people that when they're punished, they're not being cut off, okay? Especially when there are very happy people in the land of Judah who are willing to shout it out. You lost, we won. You, you're you out of the game, we're still in the game. Okay? Now, if we turn to chapter 33, Lamed Gimel, we'll see this in a different bit, from a little bit different angle. Okay? Pericle Lamed Gimel, 33. Um, verse... 23, Kafgimil Gimel. Varashem dvar Hashem l'emo. Okay, God spoke to me. Ben Adam, mortal. Yoshvei hechoravot ha'ela al Yisrael. Okay, those who are dwelling, who live in the ruins on the land of Israel, o'morim l'emo. This is what they have to say. Echad haya Avraham. Abraham was one man. V'hi rashat ha'aretz. And he was granted possession of the land. Okay? Abraham came to the land. He was one. He was able to spread out in the land. We are a big group. Obviously, the land was granted to us. So now, we're not talking to the people in Babel or hearing the people in Israel. Now we need to help them figure out what to do with this. He is now addressing the people in Israel. Israel, you think that you won the lottery? Okay? That you took out all the contestants and you were left here with a winning ticket? Let me tell you what I have to say about that. Lachen <speaking in Hebrew> Who is he speaking to? The people in Judah. Ko elokim. <speaking in Hebrew> this is what God has to say. Al hadam tochelu You eat with the blood. <speaking in Hebrew> you raise your eyes, to your, feti- your eyes to your fetishes, and you shed blood, and you will be granted the land, you have lived on your sword, you have committed abominations, you have defiled other men's wives, and you will possess the land, This is what you should say to them. This is what God said. This is an oath. Those who are in the ruins, right, in the ruins after the previous uh, problems, they will be killed by sword. Those who are in the land, the open lands, will be food to the beasts. Those who are hiding, in the strongholds in the caves they will die by pestilence I will make the land desolate waste and the proud glory will cease and the mountains of Israel shall be desolate no one passing through meaning when we're talking about the people who are in Judah and the people who left to Babel, Yirmiel was telling them people in Judah don't think that you're good they're better and Yehazkel is standing in Babel and he's talking at, to both of them. He's saying to the people in Babel, don't listen to them. God will come, came out with you and God will bring you back. This is not the end of the story. And then he turns to the people in Eretz Yisrael in Judah and says, you're there now, but it's temporary. You too will have your turn to be kicked out of this land. This is not the end of the story. This is not Darwinism, okay, where the fight of the fittest um, spiritually. Everyone who was cut off, they were bad. Whoever's left, who's good? And he's also hinting at something that your meow also said. Just because you're here right now doesn't mean that you're good. Right? Don't don't think that you can allow yourself to do whatever you want just because you're here. No, your turn will come. This has no significance. The fact that the people have been have left now the country, they will still come back. So, if we had, the first thing that Yechezkel does, and we'll see this again in a second, is build credibility. He will talk about the destruction in order to build credibility. Second thing he does is address the theological question. Do not think that you're cut off, because if you think that you're cut off, you will not aspire to go back. We have to keep this aspiration, we have to keep the dreams, And you will not dream if you think that there's nowhere to return to. You have to keep believing that you're still part of the story. You have not been cast off. And it's so easy to believe that you've been cast off because that's what you believe happened to the people of Israel. That's what the people of Israel believe that happened to the people of Israel. No, you have to believe you're still part of the story. Now let's continue and go to chapter 22. It's a random chapter but since I already set out the sources to America, so I'm committed to it. But chapter 22, Parakafit, it's really, it's just an example. Let's read it, at least the beginning, and try to see what's going on here. Vahit Okay, so the words of God have brought, been brought to me. Them V'ata ben adam. Okay, you mortal, hatishpot hatishpot et ir Will you judge or arraign the city of bloodshed? Okay, you need now to talk to ir hadamim and tell it of all of the bad things, all of the bad deeds that the city has done. ko amar Il will dam betocha levo Okay, this is a city that um, has been shedding blood. Um, one second, city whose midst blood is shed, so that your hour is approaching. The astagilulim Gilulim alei Okay, you have made fetishes of you have become unclean. Bedamech asher shafach Hashem tu v'Gilulai echasher asid You've done such bad things and bad things are going to happen to you and all the nations are going to uh, scorn you, etc., etc., etc. A very long chapter telling us of all the numerous bad deeds. Now, who is Yechezkel talking to? Who is Ira D'Amim? who's been doing all these bad things is Jerusalem and 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 you can see it in many other chapters that Yehezkel is talking to Jerusalem and talking about the sins of Jerusalem and Judah and you have to stop and ask yourself what for why is Yehezkel standing in Bevel okay just imagine this okay nowadays uh, those of us who have made Aliyah and live here, get really upset when people sitting there in Gullus and telling us how we're doing things wrong, right? We don't like that. We don't like having some Jew in Gullus, okay? Even a Jew, not to mention non-Jews, but uh, even a Jew in Gullus looking at Jerusalem and telling them how they should be conducting how we should be conducting our actions like who are you who do you think you are why are you telling why what what's the point of standing in Babel with a group of people who have left judah already who have their own problems i assume and talk about the sins of judah what's the point why do that does it make the people in babel feel better maybe but is that the reason to do that? What's the point about talking about Ir hadamim, the city of bloodshed, when you're in Babel? Well, one reason goes back to what we said before, building credibility. Right? We want to build credibility. If Yecheskel keeps on talking about the destruction, as if it's right here, and it eventually happens, okay, so this is very good for building this credibility. We'll believe you now. Why do we need to believe you? Because when you talk about redemption, we want to believe you. But I think it's even more. I think it's part of building an identity. It's part of the same thing that we just said, being part of the same story. If Yechezkel is talking in Bevel, but he's not standing on a table and looking towards Jerusalem. He's standing on a table and looking at his people. And he's addressing his people as ir hadamim, as a city of bloodshed. What is he telling them? He's saying you're part of the same story. You're still Jerusalem people. Okay, how many people here are from Jerusalem? Once a Jerusalem, you're always Jerusalem, right? Okay, even if you've moved, even if you've you still only know only know um, neighborhoods in Jerusalem. You only know. Um, uh, public transportation in Jerusalem that's what people in Jerusalem do they know Jerusalem right so he's speaking to the people in Babel as if they're still in Jerusalem this is still your story now you can tell someone this is still your story when you're talking about a theological discussion God hasn't tre- closed the door. God is still with you. You're still part of the story. But you can also make people believe that they're still part of the story if you include them in the story. If you're talking to them about the upcoming destruction as if this is something that they are going to feel because it's their story. Okay? Uh, there are all these uh, shul rabbis in America that uh, opened their drasha with the New York Times from that morning right? Okay? Now, you can open your dress with New York Times from that morning, but if you're opening it with, or you're saying something else. You're saying that our story is an Israeli story. If you want to build an identity of a community, and you don't want it to be a Babylonian identity, you want it to be a Jewish identity, then what's going to interest you is what's happening right now in the land of Israel. And if you're talking to your community as if they are the people now in Israel, you're saying, these are your sins. These are things that you still need to be better at. We're all one community. In order to be able to aspire to come back, you have to feel that you're part of the story. And of course, you also have to believe the next thing that the prophet is going to say. So what is the next thing the prophet is going to say? We are going to continue... To go back, actually, to uh, Paragimah. Yechezkel, Paragimah. This is another idea we'll see in Paragimah when it, w- it comes back in a few chapters. Chapter 3. Okay, chapter 3, verse 17. <coughs> ben Adam. Mortal. Tofe netatircha again, chapter three, verse seventeen, Peragim and pasuk u'zain. Okay. Ben Adam, Tofe netatircha levet Yisrael. I appoint you as a watchman for the people of Israel. Ve'shamatam ipi devar, ve'hisharata otam imeni. When you hear something from me, a word from me, you must warn them. Beomri l'rasham motamut. When I say to the wicked man, you shall die. And you didn't warn him. If you don't warn the wicked man from his bad ways in order for him to live, He is wicked, he will die because of his sins. But I will turn to you for his blood because you will be responsible for his blood. Meaning, your job is to warn. If you don't warn... You're responsible. But of course, this does not take away any responsibility from the people who hear you. If you warn the wicked man, and he doesn't return from his bad way to midarko arishah, In any case, a bad person is responsible for his own deeds, whether or not you as a prophet warned him. But your job as a prophet is to warn him. If you don't warn him, then you'll be liable. If you don't warn him, you'll be okay. If a righteous man abandons his righteousness and does wrong, I should put a stumbling block before him, he will die. He will die. If you don't warn him, he will die because he was wrong, because he left his righteous ways, but you will be responsible. If you do warn the righteous person and he indeed does not sin, he will live because he was careful, then you will be saving yourself. Now, what is the idea? What do we find here that helps us out or helps out Yechezkel? In a sense, we see here something totally opposite from what we saw before. What did Yehezkel do up till now? What did we see that Yehezkel was doing? He's doing these things all simultaneously. But what did we focus on up till now? Yehezkel building the community, community, communal, identity of the people. You are Jews, you are Judeans, you care about what happens in the Mikdash. God cares about you, you're all one group and you will all return. Okay? That's something we've been focusing on all the way. But now Yechaz is changing, is focusing on something totally different. What is he focusing on? The tzaddik, the rasha, the righteous man, the wicked man. He's saying, you warn. And when you warn the people, the people can decide, each and every one of them. The tzaddik can decide to be a tzaddik. The righteous man can decide to be a righteous man. And the evil man can decide to be evil. And they can decide not to be evil and not to be righteous. That's their responsibility. You have your responsibility. But how does our focus change? Where where are we shifting? We're not shifting because we're doing this all together. But on one hand, okay, one hand Yechezkel is telling us we're all part of group. This is all our group story. This is our identity of our community. And on the other hand, at the same time, he's saying, but each and every one of you is responsible for their own fate. Now, why is this important? Because one of the problems of the communal identity is that a person might think, okay, it doesn't really matter anymore. God has already decided the fate of the community. So whatever he decides for the community, that's what's going to happen. Does it really matter what I do or not do? No. So if I was righteous and I still went out to Galut, so maybe it doesn't help to be righteous. Or if I was evil and I've been sent out to Galus, so nothing's going to matter anymore. I can continue being evil. So Yochazkel is saying, no, you have personal responsibility. Let's see this a bit more in chapter 33. Um. Yeah, thirty-three. Lamidgimel at the beginning. Okay. Perik Lamidgimel mitgimel. Pasuk Aleph. Vehid v'Hashem alemo. Word of God to me. Ben Adam, mortal. Daberet Bneam Amcha v'amart elohim. Speak to the people of your country, of your um of your nation and sadism. Okay, where there's a country where a sword comes upon the country. And the people take one of their citizens, again we're talking about our watch guard, someone who's going to watch over the city, the watchman. He sees a sword coming, blowing the shofar, and he warns the people. Someone who hears the siren and isn't careful, and the sword comes and takes him, he is responsible. If you hear the shofar and you're not careful, your responsibility. The who knew how? Nafshamimet. The person who was careful, he saved himself. That zufek yiret acheriv ba velot akaba shofar ve'am lo nizhar v'tavocher v'tikach mehem nefesh. Who, by avonon ilkach v'damom miyad ha zufek edrus. If the watchman does not warn and the sword comes and there is a war, those who are killed are killed because they deserved to be killed. But the watchman will be like, okay, we just saw this in chapter Gemo and also in in chapter 18, the same ideas, but let's continue. Um, okay, mortal, I have made you the watchman. You will hear what I have to say. You will warn them. Again, you need to warn, they need to be careful, and if not, you'll be responsible. Again, if you warned him and he wasn't careful, you uh, saved yourself. Okay, mortal tell to the people of Israel. Can this is what you have said meaning the people are saying our sins are upon us. They're they're heavy on our on our backs, but they're going to kill us how are we going to live? We're so full of sins. How are we going to live? Emor Alehem Say to them, I swear, Imehpotbemota Meaning, you have the option for tshuva. Now, tshuva is, of course, the a, a ABC of everything, right? It's the beginning of everything. But, Yechazkel, before he speaks about tshuva, he has to speak about personal responsibility, about seeing each and every person as an individual. Okay? While Yechazkel is. Uh, working really hard to make everybody feel part of a community, he's working just as hard for people to understand that they're also individuals. Now these are two things that you have to hold together. You have to hold together the idea of community, together with the idea of being an individual who has responsibility for his own fate. You can't, you have to have both of them together because without a community you have no hopes you have no dreams, you don't plan on returning to your motherland if you think your mother kicked you out, okay, so without the community, without feeling part of something big, you're not going to want to come back, but if you're too much part of a community, you might lose yourself, you might say, okay, so whatever happens to the community what happens to the community, what can I do, how do I have any effect, so I'll see what everybody does, I'll do what everybody does, no, Because in order for things to change, in order to be able to go back to your motherland, in order, you have to say, I want to be the one going back. Because sword might come, things might happen, but you have to decide on which part of the border you're sitting. Are you sitting on the border of those that won't come back? that decide to stay away or to be cast off? Or are you going to be the one who wants to come back? Do you want to be part of the story of the redemption? Or don't you want to be part of the redemption? Okay, you've sinned. The community has sinned. But the change will come by individual people who say, just because my father was wicked doesn't make me have to be wicked. I can return. I can return uh, in two aspects. Return tshuva being good and return to the land of Israel so there are a few more things I thought of saying but we're not going to talk about them but I do want to say that we have to hold these two things together we have to has to tell people that they have hope In (laughs) in order to convince people that there is hope he first had to convince people that there will be destruction he had to be at the point where he can say I told you so I told you there was going to be a destruction now believe me when I tell you there's going to be redemption, people in post trauma don't believe it's going to be good. But if you tell them you're going to go through these stages and it's going to get worse, but then it's going to be better then you can believe that it's going to be better. You cannot try to better your lives if you don't have hope of being better. You cannot try to go back to the land of Israel if you don't feel part of the people of Israel. So when Yehazgah was working really hard, now he started at a good point. Why did he start at a good point? Because he started with people who took responsibilities for their lives. He started with people who, who listened a bit to the prophet. Not a lot. They didn't do tshuva. But they accepted their fate. He said, okay, now as you accepted your fate, you have to be careful not to fall into the pit holes. Don't say, I accept my fate, I was kicked out of home, I'm going to live with the non-Jews and stay there. No, you accept your fate, but stay part of the community. You accept that this is what God wanted, but remember that God is with you. And within all this, within this whole big story of the Jewish people, of the Judean people, You have to continue resuming responsibility. Don't just wait for the community to decide to make aliyah. Don't just wait for God to pick you all up and take you back. No, each and every one has the ability to listen to when God says it's time to come back or to decide not to, to decide to become better people and to be worthy of coming back or to decide, no, you know what, this is who I am, this is the way it is. But personal responsibility plus communal identity. These two things is what Yecheskel is working very, very hard at in order for us to come back. And I think that one of the major um, reasons that all the people in this classroom are sitting here is because of a very, very big sense of community, of identity, of being Jewish, of being part of the Jewish story, together with personal responsibility, Taking action, figuring out what the right thing to do is, and actually doing it. Have a good week.